Last time on Strange New Worlds. Looking at the past and understanding how the past is constructed to kind of、uh, lead insight into the human condition. That's basically what history is about. The United States has a national myth, and so national myths, what they do is they don't just belong in the past, but they serve this kind of ongoing purpose that we have in the present. It ties people together. The structure of Star Trek fits in with with the, with the Western mythology, which is the mythology of America, the nation state expanding outwards into the West. It didn't feel that America was、uh, incorrect. It actually felt that America, at its core, was virtuous, and the United Federation of Planets was that core. Really, what America should be? It's almost like a prediction that America will like reach its kind of promised destiny,、right. according to its myth that you're talking right. about.、Yeah. The Enlightenment era said that it was the individual who was the, the the fundamental unit of society, the individual will, the individual desires. The Borg kind of represents. The West's fear of Japan and its、uh, its so-called collectivist attitude. The Puritan legacy is the sense of expansion and progress and spreading the message, spreading the gospel of enlightenment and reason and individual liberty. In the original series, it really does feel like they're colonizing and、mm. expanding and trying. They're they're changing every world they they leave、mm. behind. For example, history. We think history of the world in terms of nation states, but what about the workers, the laborers? They're、um, often marginalized、forgotten. people, women,、yeah. and so like all of the, all of these marginal players are not are not heard or not are not written down in the narrative in in history in memory. Imagine the original series, but written like as a series that's just basically those three miners on that horrible planet from those <laughs> women. What are we not seeing? What、yeah. what's happening in those subspace frequencies that we don't get to listen to? <laughs> Who are the marginalized who, yeah, people? Yeah, who is the Federation marginalizing?、Yeah. <laughs> And now the conclusion. One of the things that the article brought up was okay. So how are we going to reach this utopian future? Well, in Star Trek, as well as in other science fiction, we're always led by the scientists, the inventors, the engineers. And it seems like the American nationalistic belief in the perfection of the individual and society goes through the sciences. And then there's a, a science fiction story called Power by Hugh Raymond that is cited in this article, where a science organization overthrows the existing American government and establishes the new scientific government of the United States, which will govern the country according to enlightened scientific. Principles. So I want to ask both of you: Do you think that science is the only way towards this utopian future? We have to really embrace science full on, and that's the only way. You、oh, know, God, forget、no. everything else. And are scientists actually going to make better governors than our current politicians? I know plenty of scientists who I would never want to let into the White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree too. Like, I think science is not excused from power and politics. Absolutely, like science is. Is structured within power dynamics, and I think we we see this like the scientific method. All going back to the Enlightenment, the scientific method was founded on rationality, and it was at the exclusion of other systems of knowledge, other ways of knowing, indigenous and colonial. So that said, like science is not like value neutral, even though some people might think it's like value neutral. So, yeah, I I don't think scientists or just scientism is that if that's a word is just like. That's going to solve world problems. 
it's part of some solutions, mm -hmm. but sometimes like we're going to face a huge crisis because of automation coming up. And that's an outcropping of like technological advancement. I know a guy who's working on a robot that will flip burgers better than any human will ever be able to flip burgers. Mm -hmm. And he's also working on coding trucks to drive themselves. And so one of the biggest employers of Americans right now is truck driving. And then you've got jobs in like fast food that are just going to be completely displaced. And so the whole idea that everyone can work and everyone should work is just going to completely break mm. the way our society works. And we're going to have a huge employment crisis all because of science. And so if we want the Star Trek future, we're going to need science. But I think neglecting to recognize the human consequences of science is, is, is just a recipe for lots of unhappy people. Mm. Right. Yeah. Lots of power concentrated in single places. Right. Yeah, who wields science? Yeah, because it's, it's really a tool. I, I think science is important more as a tool than as a philosophy in itself. As, like, you could not, I don't think you could base an entire society off of science. Yeah. Because, I mean, Caltech's basically that, and it's pretty dysfunctional at times. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, the yeah, truth yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> it's yeah. a great school. It's a great it's school. A but, idea, but yeah. you know, as a case study in a scientist-only community, I often mm. find myself really yearning to talk to somebody who, like, does art. Mm. Like, thinks about things that aren't. Like, this is probably the most interesting conversation I've had in, like, weeks, <laughs> months, maybe, yeah. because... You're not a you're not a scientist. No, no, yeah. You're, you're yeah. in the humanities, and we there's almost a culture of looking down. Like scientists often get egos. Hmm. Um, I think we get kind of drunk off of our own idea that our philosophy, rationalism, is like somehow superior to like emotional intuition and things, and we'll start to look down on humanities. Even even feels like physicists will be like, oh, biology is so squishy. Like it's not rational enough. Like it's oh, okay. um, there's a lot of sort of uh, like rationality shaming I suppose like people mm. kind of looking down on fields that they don't see as as scientific and so I mean if you could imagine a science-based society maybe it would have casts the biologists mm. at the bottom and the physicists and mathematicians at the top yeah. like it's, what is reason yeah like, yeah. like they, it's it's like as close the closer you get to just doing your work on a blackboard the smarter and better you must be that's it. That's a whole new world. I didn't know about that? Like, <laughs> yeah. there were just like these hierarchies within science. Yeah, it's 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 I guess. like things are not equal just because we all have this like philosophy of this kind of lofty ideal of truth through mm. the scientific method. It, mm. it people are still people. Right. People still tribalize and and fight and bicker and even like this one unifying idea isn't enough to like make a kind of egalitarian paradise that right. you might think academia would be it's not all meritocracy right right, right. not to bash academia love it <laughs> i need a i need a job yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but i think just as evidence that one sort of like basing an entire group off of science alone is not enough to make sure everybody's happy gets what they need some science fiction maybe that one that you cited that you mentioned now um viewing science as carrying humanity from superstition. And I think science is great. Like, it it overturned so much superstition. It brought medicines. It brought it made our lives longer. It, it, it gave us the ability. Water. Yeah, drinking water. <laughs> ability to make water. A, a podcast. We have electricity. We have computers. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, reason over superstition. You know, great. But also reason itself is within um, structure. So who wields... Who reason who wields and then who it, is it wielded against it's a weapon yep. it's a tool tool as you say yeah, yeah. But i don't think it's it's it, it can't be an entire like system unto itself it's it's a way to extract truth from empirical facts from the universe 
and it doesn't tell you what to do with those facts after you've found them. Absolutely. The classic example from our own history is the power of the atom, of nuclear energy, (laughs) right? It can give us such immense power to run our societies, to make great things, and it also gives us a very terrible weapon. Right, and I mean, Star Trek does this with antimatter too. Antimatter powers warp drive, allows us to explore strange new worlds, but it also gives us photon torpedoes. And who decides when to shoot a photon torpedo? That doesn't come from science; it comes from it's a, it's a system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Starfleet showing up on a planet without weaponry is effectively has the choice. They're in the position of power because they're using science. Mm-hmm. Science doesn't tell them what to do with that power. Mm. So. It's it's crazy to think about all the like crazy ethical dilemmas in Star Trek now. I, I yeah. will never have to search for an essay topic for Humanity's <laughs> class again. I know exactly yeah. what I'm going to write about. Right. <laughs> so much to write about <laughs> in all series. All right, Jason, let me ask you. You're a historian, and we are currently in a very peculiar point in history, in American okay. history in particular. Okay. Looking forward, mm-hmm. I know you're very excited for Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. as we all are. Where do you want to see this new series go in terms of addressing our current moment? Po- moment? Yeah. Well, this, this current moment, I think, I think to talk about this maybe moment a bit, we, we've seen the failures of what capitalism was supposed to provide people. And so in response to that, a, lo- a lot of people voted for Trump, you know. The people who voted for Trump saw that they weren't getting the benefits of a globalized economy. And instead of identifying the problem of their their lack of prosperity on the system of capitalist class, they projected onto others. And these others being Muslims, women, LGBT, immigrants. And I would like Star Trek to see how the, the discussion of others and the discussion of uh, marginalized group and the and how we and they have really survived and like really come to terms and like resist and protect themselves with the onslaught of the othering this uh, this this fear of the other and so I would like really you know well, how can we talk about these uh, the others in Star Trek you know and in, in a time when the others are the most vulnerable and othering that the practice of making an other is really maybe what's going on immensely right now. How easy it would be to do that too when you have an entire universe full of intelligences that could be so different mm. or even just barely different enough, just yeah. slightly different enough to, to easily label them. Like like the Horda in, in Star Trek, mm. it's a silicon-based life form. It's intelligent, mm. but it's othered so quickly. Yeah. Like it, it would, It's so possible. It would be really good to see. Right. Also, the ca- the cast is so diverse too now. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although we still got a white guy captain. <laughs> oh, the captain's white. Yeah, yeah. The 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 woman who you keep seeing, Michael. She's um, not the captain, but she's the main character. Oh, okay. Yeah. The the guy who played uh, Lucius Malfoy is playing the captain oh, of the awesome, Discovery. Awesome. But there's another captain who's the captain of another ship, mm. that's like major in the series, and she's. Mm. Um, Asian descent, oh, which okay. is pretty cool as well. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the like really the, the big like the, the opening scene in the new um, like I I like almost cried <laughs> because first of all it was two women and like Star Trek usually has like a token woman or like mm. two token women but it was two women of color mm. in the in the opening 
scene of mm. the the first preview of Discovery. Yeah, and it was like, we have come that, yeah. so far yeah. from, like, I mean, there's there's always more work to be done, but if you look at the opening scenes from the pilot episode mm. of Star Trek in the original series, it's just white guys right. everywhere. You heard, I don't think Uhura is even in a couple of the first season, the first scenes. So, like, to have come to a point where they're comfortable putting members of multiple marginalized groups on stage without kind of like the anchor of what we've usually seen on television is pretty remarkable. Right, yeah. And like science fiction, like as you say, it's like it's a perfect platform to do that because, you know, you're, you're going out and like meeting others, right? Like mm-hmm. and you're meeting new intelligences, new ways of being in the question of being of who belongs in the category of individual rights and human rights or liberties. Like that's that's what what's a better platform than science fiction and Star Trek to do that. And so like I think Star Trek has that really great potential to really talk about that. And yeah, I'm really excited for that, for sure. I mean there's already even been like upset about the cast. Yeah. Like, oh okay, yeah. People people have come out and said like they're pushing a social justice agenda, mm-hmm. like keep right. your politics out of Star Trek. White and it's genocide so, has well, been thrown around. It's, it's it's so naive to say keep your politics out of Star Trek because art is political right. it comes out of a yeah. context like the original series came out of a political context like right. we were talking about for this whole episode. star trek has always so been it's political. impossible to create something that's apolitical right exactly yeah, yeah. Every, uh, everything is political so it's just maybe not your politics but you can't keep politics out yeah. i personally think it's a great thing that the new series hasn't aired at all yet it's not even out and already Racists are bashing it, right? That's a great thing. It means I mean, it's doing just, the right thing. It means it's going the right direction. That's life in the age of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's life in the age of Twitter. Yeah. So yeah, I just say, in in terms of what I what discovery, what I'm looking for discovery. Yeah, I think talking about this growing sense of backlash and hate against the other. Like, how do we like really talk about the ways others have like really protected themselves? And I think like. Star Trek has dealt with the question of others, and and I think it's boiled down to how the main cast and the characters, how the Federation protected the others, but how maybe we can have a more nuanced discuss and discussion how the others have protected themselves, how the needs and agendas of others maybe directly contradicts the Federation's, and maybe like as you said before, like within the Federation, what are the tensions between the Federation within the Federation? What about the actual people within the Federation? Yeah, there's a fascinating moment where Sarek says to the main character, you're, you're, you will never be able to speak Vulcan, your tongue is too human. So, mm. And she apparently has a history of being like one of the first humans to have grown up on Vulcan. Mm. So I'm super interested in perhaps learning more about that dynamic. Like what actually is, like in Enterprise, we have this whole dynamic with T'Pol thinking humans are disgusting for like mm. the first half of the series. And mm. what really was that dynamic? How long did it take for humans to recon- humans and Vulcans to reconcile each other? And did something from each group get lost or did humans steamroll Vulcans or was it the other way around? Like, I'm guessing it was the first way. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, did somebody have to give something up and how, how was that received? How did, was there backlash? Like, what kind of mechanisms had to Absolutely. come Absolutely. And as a historian, yeah. I'm, like, very interested in that because maybe what's the latest, chronologically the latest was Voyager. And then from World War Three until Voyager, what were the mechanisms, as you say, the mechanisms and social formations necessary to get to Voyager, this unified federation of planets? Yeah, and it, it's yeah. wild, too, when you think of, like, the Vulcans revealed themselves to humans. They mm-hmm. started in that position of power, and then all of a sudden, it's flipped. Yeah. 
Like, how it had to have happened at some point. Because even in Enterprise, Vulcans are still superior. They've got better tech, better science. They're more of an established space power. And so at the time of Enterprise, I'm guessing that's when this shift is happening. Mm -hmm. So perhaps there's a huge, like, economic culture class. You could see some kind of, like, kind of the fear that erupted in the U.S. when we thought that the Japanese economy was going to overtake Mm -hmm. ours. There's so much interplay about othering people that could go on. Exactly. Just with that dynamic alone. And this is why Enterprise should have gone on for seven seasons. <laughs> we never exactly. got to see waiting to that, that flip. You know, that the, the Romulan War was supposed to happen. Everybody was supposed to rally around Earth, and we we're going to defend the coalition of planets that became the Federation against the Romulans. And somehow, out of that, Earth emerges as the leader. I wanted to see how that happened. Yeah, how did we go from being like the youngest warp power, the kind of backwards, smelly, short-lived, unintelligent, unenlightened humans, to Federation Standard English. <laughs> yeah, Federation Standard English. But, I mean, that's like the most telling part for me, right? Yeah. They're like everyone speaks English yeah. in in an age where you could you have a tech that literally translates. Why do people need to learn Federation Standard English and speak English to each other? Yeah. It's because it's the prestige language. Prestige, yeah, yeah. How to get to that prestige language, right? So yeah, historians what we what we call is like nation state formations. Mm-hmm. What we do is like look at uh, we periodize we, what we call periodizing things. What is the beginning? What is the end? And how do we chop up the time between this beginning and this end into... Sounds like geology. <laughs> In the geosciences, yeah. we have stratigraphy. Er, er, yeah, stratigraphy and eras, and we have we ask really big questions like, what marks the boundary yes, between yes. this era and that era? Usually it's a mass extinction. Mm. What is it? In- Historians do the same thing. So what we do is it's called periodizing. We have history, maybe a thousand years. What what do we mark as like the, the turning point of the next chapter in our book? in in even it's and why is it the next chapter in the book what makes it significant that we need to point this out does it appear anywhere else does it only appear a few times what makes it significant statistically significant you know and so and, and in doing so we are kind of placing a value on the in that periodization in that categorization and we're saying oh this social formation was significant and in in doing so we can view humanity through this significant structure. So for example, we can, are the, are the rise and falls of nation states kind of the way we should periodize humanity? And we, we already do that with the rise of Rome and the fall of Rome. That in Jesus Christ is a periodization. And so, yeah, so yeah, historians do that. And then what, and historians have another thing is like, we periodize things, but that periodization is supposed to lead somewhere. And so from A to the Z, this periodization, it builds up to Z. But what, what is that Z? And from that Z, how, because we privilege the Z as the end, how does that privileging of the Z view the rest of history? How does what we think of today, let's say we live in Z, okay? when we think of today as modern and advanced and progress, how does that kind of value affect the way we view the past, where, where the way we periodize the past? And with the way we view the past is this is what we call teleology, and this teleology is this way we kind of periodize and structure progression and structure progress. So, for example, it was the Dark Ages, Enlightenment, Modern. But in doing so, that negates the fact that maybe during the Dark Ages there were different parts of humanity that were like enlightened, and that were that had advanced <laughs> yeah, medicines. That's so, yeah. in a sense, like yeah, our our periodization, our teleology is structured within politics. For sure. Going back to Star Trek, I'm very, very, very curious about how discovery that takes place less than 10 years before the, the original series, when the original series was posited as the peak of humanity, 
right? How can discovery critique that periodization, critique that teleology that the original series supposedly represents? How can discovery really make that Because if it's so back, if it's like, if it's suddenly conflicted and critiqued and flawed, mm -hmm. how does that like reflect on, is the original series not canon anymore? Is it, yeah. was it a lie? A lie. Yeah. History is a lie. History <laughs> is a myth. <laughs> and that is what we tell, and it's, and it's interesting, it's like. Episode title of this podcast. History, history is a, a lie. lie. <laughs> Absolutely. His, uh, we, we got it. Yeah. yeah. History is a lie. It's, a, it's an agenda. It's. It's a politically motivated, and it's like so, like everything's a lie. Whatever, it's like fine. And when when Discovery comes out, how are we going to totally rethink the original series? Are we going to view the original series episode and say, okay, things like when we first saw it before Discovery came out, it, it looked like paradise. But what if this paradise is hiding something? Does Kirk like making fun of Spock for being Vulcan and Bones like calling him the Green Blooded Hobgoblin? Is that suddenly like a racial slur? Is that coming out yeah. of like a, a recent shift in human dominance over Vulcans? Because he's never making fun. He sometimes kind of like picks on them for being human, but it's it's mm -hmm. more aggressive. Yeah. the other way mm -hmm. yeah and so, the Andorians and Enterprise are they really yeah. harassing him is this like workplace harassment yeah <laughs> the Andorians <laughs> and Enterprise will we'll call, call humans like... pink skins right you're yeah. pink skin but what about the black people yeah what about the black people first of all what about the black people second of all you know so in the original funny. series era would you ever would an Andorian like get away with calling a human a pink skin or is that yeah. like totally not okay anymore you know yeah. like how have things evolved because, yeah I mean in Archer's days humans if an Andorian's calling you some kind of slur like good luck challenging them on that like they've got better guns yeah. better tech but now I mean like you're probably seeing more diplomatic softening of words yeah wow it's like it's wild to think about right, I, right. I really I really am now hoping discovery is showing this shift into human dominance because yes, that sounds yes. so interesting I yes I'm really hoping discovery is actually an intervention on Star Trek teleology on Star Trek periodization the, the the teleology of the United Federation of Planets, the periodization. It's like completely just smack in the face of it. Like new director, new vision, new mm -hmm. like. I mean, it's breaking rules apparently, and yeah, yeah quote unquote breaking the the no long prolonged inter interpersonal conflict rules. Oh yeah, that's what which I is, heard. Which right. is not a rule. It's uh, a guideline. It's a guideline, and it doesn't <laughs> even apply. I mean, like this, enterprise. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's um, um, yeah. So this this rule that we're citing is that uh, EW Entertainment Weekly made this grandiose statement about how Star Trek Discovery is going to disband the Roddenberry rule, which was that you're not supposed to have inter crew uh, intra crew conflicts uh, between human characters because they're supposed to be perfected by the the, the time of Star Trek, okay. which was actually just part of what Gene Roddenberry wanted. Uh, for the next generation, you know, Jean-Luc's crew. Mm -hmm. And you don't really see that much friction between the, the crew of the Enterprise D, but you definitely see in all the other series, especially TOS. And then Deep Space Nine was just all over the place. People hated each other. Quark and Odo, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, And then Voyager, of course, there's this Maquis versus Starfleet conflict. So I think this is something that people are ballooning into yeah. something as I mean, no, but it, okay. basically, I mean, that they would come out and say that basically says get geared up for, like, some wild emotional turmoil. Yeah. yeah. Like, get ready to see people being real nasty to each other, yeah. which would make sense in kind of a, like, you see nastiness crop up when people see their, son, their privilege threatened. Yeah. And if the power balance is shifting during this time, I, I mean, I would expect to see all kinds of backlash, right? Mm -hmm. so, I'm like so hopeful that that's oh, what it is. Yeah. I want to see it. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to let me down now. I just yeah. know it. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, you know, the Enterprise, we saw, like, people making immoral decisions. Like, Archer, like, almost tortured someone. It's like, okay, damn. Um, but I think, like, Enterprise had the potential of, like, really exploring into the formation of, like, the social structure of the Federation mm -hmm. and just interspecies relations. Like, does Discovery go into that? Like, We'll see. We'll see yeah. Or do they hint at it? Because it, it does really cut close to TOS. Yeah. Just 10 years, but maybe it'll hint at it. I mean, they, they kind of said it, like, with Sarek's line. They put a bit in there about a conflict between a human who can't be Vulcan. And, mm. Like, in there immediately. So I'm, I'm, and they say that Sarek and Amanda have, like, important roles in this character's life. So I'm yes. guessing there's going to be some kind of conflict there. But watch it just be, like, some just repeat of the kind of robotic character that wants to be human or the human character who wants to be robotic. Like, it's... Mm. It, it could be bad, but I want it to be good. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll be more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Desan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally my pleasure. And thank you. And thank you both. It's like, I did not expect this. Like, ever since kindergarten, right? Like, we're going to be in a podcast. That concludes episodes six and seven of Strange New Worlds. We hope you learned about history and memory, the American national myth, marginalization, periodization, and teleology. We can't wait to find out how Star Trek Discovery reflects upon the current historical moment, and how it will fit into the epic narrative of Star Trek. See you out there.